So Nick, one of the problems with you knowing so much about economics is that you toss out these big words right. that we know really well, Yes. but not everybody is as tuned in as we are. Correct. So, so what I thought we'd do as a little bonus is go through some of the terms we use a lot and, and try to explain our uh, $10 words in maybe 7 or $8. Yeah, exactly. I think it was Bertrand Russell who said, if you want to discuss with me, define your terms. Okay. So <laughs> and we need to define our damn terms. Let's start with uh, one of the classics. Well, actually, one of the neoclassics, neoclassical economics. Yeah. And before we get to the actual definition, let's just be clear that we use these words in a very particular way. And there are people who would contest our view of this of but these terms. But screw them because yeah. this isn't their podcast. Yeah, exactly. Screw them. So neoclassical economics is basically orthodox economic theory dating more or less to now from the middle part of the last century. And it is made up of a bunch of assumptions about human behavior, about the dynamics of human social systems. It includes a theory of value and uh, identifies how the economy works to create growth and prosperity. And basically, neoclassical economics holds that human beings are rational self-maximizers, that we are perfectly selfish and perfectly rational. It holds that value equals price, that the price of something in a society rep represents its true value. So, so if you pay me $7.25 That is what you are hour, worth. That's that all I'm worth. That is the value. And, and then when we pass a $15 minimum wage, Somehow, magically, worth? you're 15. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And if you're an orthodox thinker, uh, like another podcaster, Russ Roberts, by so doing, you have uh, defied the laws of economics where the market defines what you're worth, and you have essentially uh, crossed the beams and violated a law of nature, and you are therefore paying somebody more than they're worth, and therefore you've harmed the economy and harmed welfare and eventually killed jobs. Uh, again, nothing could be further from the truth. And neoclassical economics also holds that the economies are equilibrium systems, which basically means if one thing goes up, another thing goes down, that those systems, therefore, are something called Pareto optimal, which means that they come to an equilibrium where if you push one thing down to get a, for instance, more increasing justice, you will uh, harm welfare another place that basically the system is imbalanced in this way. You, you, you can't improve somebody else's lot without hurting somebody else. Correct. And basically, you know, our view and the purpose of this podcast is to show people the ways in which all of those assumptions about economic behavior and life and systems, those things are just not true. They were mostly just made up. Um, uh, there's a bunch of stuff in addition to that that was made up that's even more technical, uh, that, and most of it was made up to make the math work so right. that you could mathematize the system and build models that you could use to represent the world. The sad part, of course, is that none of the models work. They don't represent the world very well. They don't predict anything. Uh, and we have drawn a bunch of conclusions from neoclassical economics, like raising wages kills jobs and tax cuts for rich people create growth, which are just objectively so, false. So neoclassical economics, yep. this is what you are taught in Econ 101. Correct. And what we talk about here on our podcast, this is what you will be taught in Econ 101 in about 15, 20 years. Yes, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. So let's move on to one of the more contentious 
terms we use, and that is neoliberal. Right. Uh, right. It's used a lot as a pejorative from yeah. the left. What What is a neoliberal, and, and what do we mean right. when we say neoliberal? So neoliberalism was a thing uh, created by a bunch of, well, guys. Uh, a cabal. <laughs> a cabal of guys. And it legitimately and in a well-meaning way in response to communism and authoritarianism around the world. And these folks, uh, you know, in the 30s and 40s legitimately believed that there were some very bad things happening in the world, that, that statism and collectivism were going to destroy freedom and destroy economies and destroy society. And so neoliberalism was a reaction against that and a commitment to free markets and freedom and a bunch of other things. And a lot of that is totally legitimate. They were absolutely correct to believe that market economies did and will always outperform non-market economies. But neoliberalism, as it evolved, got hijacked by a bunch of folks and became an, essentially an ideological framework that grew out of neoclassical economics. And it means a bunch of things to us specifically. Uh, it, it, it entails a particular definition of freedom, which is that freedom from constraint is the only kind of freedom that matters. Um, it asserts that the only legitimate organizing principle for an economy is competition and markets. It asserts that the source of growth in an economy is always capital and concentrated capital in particular, that what you are paid defines your worth uh, and contribution to a society. And, you know, among other things, the only legitimate purpose of the corporation is to maximize value to shareholders. And there's a bunch of other beliefs, but those kind of roundly summarize what was extracted from neoclassical economics that makes up a bunch of the culture of economics that we live with today. And that's what neoliberalism is today. That, that sounds like mainstream economic and political ideology it is. the past 40 years. It is. That's exactly what it is. And, and it's what most people accept, like gravity, that, that this is just how it is. And, and that's, and there's nothing it, you can do about it. And if it means that I make seven twenty-five an hour and you make a billion, then yeah, that that must be what we're worth, respectively. And, and as, there's nothing we can do about it right. because it's it's right. a natural law. That's right. And um, all of that's bullshit. So, so to be clear, then um, to build on this conversation, neoclassical economics—that is a school of economic theory. Yes. And neoliberalism is a political and economic ideology that and is narrative built, built that on is top of built that. on top of that which is used to kind of define the set of policies Correct. that are available to Correct. us and what, what sits on top of that is another term of art that we use a lot which is trickle down economics and trickle down economics is really a set of memes and political rationalizations for what you want to do. And we call trickle down economics tax cuts for rich people creates growth, deregulation for powerful people creates growth, and raising wages kills jobs. That those those are the anchor claims of trickle down economics, and they are what has framed economic policy and politics in the United States for well since like 1980. Yeah, since, since 1980 Reagan, for the most part. Again, all of which is bullshit. Okay. So then let, let's move on to another term, which we don't use as much, but people talking about the stuff we talk about yeah. use, and that is 
Heterodoxy. Yeah. So this is a, an emerging term of art, but basically heterodox economic thinking is non-orthodox economic thinking. It's and economic thinking. not neoclassical. And not, not neoclassical. And it means uh, an economic thinking which challenges these behavior, value, growth, and systems ideas. We are heterodox economic thinkers. We assert that humans aren't rational and selfish. We are reciprocal and uh, heuristic, that value isn't price, it's actually solutions and welfare, that growth is basically the evolution of fitness rather than factors of production, and that the systems aren't uh, equilibrium systems, they're at basically non-equilibrium ecologies. And one of the reasons why it's referred to as heterodoxy is rather than just drawing from economics, it is actually a synthesis of the latest science in a broad number exactly. of disciplines. Physics, uh, biology, evolutionary theory, psychology, sociology, anthropology, uh, yeah. you know, a huge Information number. theory, yeah. network theory, right. all of that uh, coming together, converging and being mixed into this new way of viewing the economy. Correct. What's our next term? Well, let, let's go for my, our favorite word recently, which is monopsony. Yeah. Uh, Monopoly's evil twin. What is it, Goldie? Well, it's 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 actually it's very much like monopoly. Everybody yeah. knows a monopoly. Strictly monopoly is when you have a hundred percent control of a market, but really in reality, it's when you have a dominant share of a market. Often it's like duopolies. Yeah. Um, but a monopoly is when you have dominant control of the market so that you can set the price of things. Yeah. Monopsony is when you have dominant control of a market from the perspective of the buyer. You can control the cost of things. So I think one of the best examples of monopsony, Nick, is the plight of chicken farmers in America, where essentially in most parts of the country, there's only one or two usually one customer who's buying their product. Yeah, one huge agribusiness. Tyson yeah. or Purdue, Purdue. Yeah. and they set all the terms. As a chicken yeah. farmer, you're not really an independent business anymore. Mm -hmm. They make you buy the chicks from them. They give you standards on how to raise them. Right. And they set the price per pound. And right. so uh, chicken farmers in America, same with a lot of pork farmers, they've really been impoverished over the last couple decades. Yeah. And all of the value of that supply chain has been sucked out of it by those giant agribusinesses from you know, ordinary farmers and workers and, you know, essentially is aggregated into the earnings, bonuses, and stock price of these big companies. Right. So the next time you get your uh, chicken nuggets on the dollar menu, remember, it's not just the chickens who are suffering. It's the chicken farmers. <laughs> it's exactly right. And finally, let's close on one of our little pet issues. Yeah. Uh, what's a stock buyback? So what a stock buyback is, is when a public company uh, uses its cash or cash flow to buy its own shares of stock. Why would you do that? Why, why would you exp explain idiotic, to me? Idiotic. So why would you do that? Well, when you do it, you reduce the number of shares outstanding, and two things happen. Often the 
price of the stock will go up because there's fewer available and you're putting buyer buying pressure on it. If you're an owner of the stock, that's very, very good. And also, the earnings that the company makes are divided by the number of shares outstanding. And EPS, so, earnings EPS, per share. Right. And as the number goes down, the EPS goes up, which and, means that the stock price will go up. Because Wall Street loves exactly. EPS. And so... Uh, this is a way to make the stock price of a company go up without the pesky burden of having to make better products and services. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> yeah. like magic. You yeah. don't even actually exactly. have to be you, good at your job. You don't. You can make shit products and... Uh, all you do is, you know, at least in the near term, you buy more shares and stock price goes up. And it's a very pernicious practice. And it is one of our pet peeves because it is so huge, because stock buybacks now represent about 5% of GDP, about a trillion dollars a trillion a year. Dollars a year. And as we think through all the things that we need to do with money to get the economy back on track, pay people more, invest in education, secure people's retirement, pay for health care, all of those things. Address climate change. Yeah. A trillion dollars that does nothing in the economy but make a few rich people richer is a remarkable source of money for all those things. Okay. So there you have it. A quick refresher on a lot of the terms. Defining we, our damn terms. Right. Defining yeah. our terms. A lot of the words we yep. toss around here on Pitchfork Economics. If you're listening and there are any more terms that you think we missed that you'd like us to explain a little more in depth, please send an email to pitch at pitchforkeconomics.com and let us know. Awesome. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. The magic happens in Seattle in partnership with Large Media, that's L-A-R-J Media, and the Young Turks Network. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks. And you should also follow Nick Hanauer on Twitter at Nick Hanauer. Thanks for listening.